Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At the Home Depot, we're dedicated to helping you build the skills that get your home projects done right. That's why we offer free and interactive online DIY workshops. During the live streams, our knowledgeable associates help you tackle your DIY projects no matter your age or skill level. You can learn how to install new single pole switches as well as standard duplex and GFCI outlets. Register for free at homedepot.com workshops. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. Horizon Block Party is on. It's a free front row ticket to amazing VR experiences all summer long. Only in Horizon Worlds on MetaQuest 2. Post Malone kicks things off with a special VR performance of 12 Karat Toothache, followed by more of your favorite music, comedy, and sports. Strap on your MetaQuest 2. Download the free Horizon Worlds app and join the party. Follow us on Instagram at Horizon Worlds to learn more. Nobody wants to be thinking about back to school already, right? I mean, didn't summer just start? I'm with ya. But it's not too early to be taking care of back to school vaccinations. Your kidney pharmacist can now administer most vaccines for grade school, high school, and college students, including Tdap, hepatitis B, measles, mumps and rubella, chickenpox and meningitis, as well as HPV, COVID, and flu. Kinney even has Buzzy the vaccine bee to help take the sting out of shots. See what's required and schedule at kinneydrugs.com. This is the Decibel Geek Podcast with Chris Sinzak and Aaron Camaro. Woe to you, O Earth and Sea, for Pantheon sends the beast with wrath, because we know our time is short. Let those who have understanding reckon the podcast of the beast. For it is a rock music podcast. It is the Decibel Geek Podcast. My name is Aaron Camaro, joined as always by a man who's always ready to up the irons with me, Chris Sinzak. How are you doing, brother? I'm a free man. (laughs) Not a number. (laughs) I'm not a number, damn it. Oh, man, we're going to have so much fun today. We've never done this with Maiden. And after the last best and worst we did with Poison, people said, more please. And so we said, what a perfect time, because this weekend is the big party. What a perfect time to do the best and worst of Iron Maiden in the 80s. Oof, what a decade. It's been interesting going back through the discography because, as you, a lot of you know, I'm not the biggest Iron Maiden fan, and uh, I thought there was some enlightening stuff this time. 
Yeah, we're going to have a really good time with this. we got an awesome guest. Of course, the party I'm talking about. You guys have been hearing us talk about this leading up to it, but the weekend is finally here. We're going to be at Bowie's in Nashville, downtown, Saturday night. we got a big old rock concert going on. we got Rock United coming in with Mangus and Sandy Gennaro. And those guys, you know them, you love them from Rock and Pod. Almost every single Rock and Pod those guys have played at. And Blown Minds, because that's what they do. Bringing out some of the most kick-ass rock classics. You're going to say, I love this song, but it's not like an overplayed song. Those guys right. are perfect at bringing the perfect rock set to each rock and roll party that they attend. And they'll be attending this one and kicking it off. So we're going to have a great time with them. And then, of course, the meat on the bone, the main event. The most awesome, kick-ass Iron Maiden tribute band in all the land talking about power slave it's going to be amazing we're gonna have a whole night full of a i'm telling you these guys are the best as my opinion the best iron maiden tribute act in the world and we've got them right here in nashville at bowie's saturday night show kicks off at six chris and i are going to be hanging out having a couple of beers probably around 5 30 ish maybe a little bit earlier than that we'll see how it kicks off we're gonna have fun all night long rock and roll good times you can come talk to us hang out with us it's going to be a blast so get your tickets are they selling them at the door i gotta imagine they are right yeah we're doing them in in advance on eventbrite but we're also doing them at the door too it's going to be a good time i'm looking so forward to it we're hoping a lot of you guys are going to be able to be in Music City this weekend. I know that a lot of our listeners, most of our listeners, don't live in Nashville, but we know a lot of you do. So if you're here in town with us or anywhere in the vicinity or happen to be passing through, that's where you'll find us on Saturday night down at Bowie's with Rock United and Power Slave. It's going to be an awesome time. So what better time to talk about Maiden than right here today? And that's exactly what we're going to do. But... Before we get to this, oh man, I can't believe it. <laughs> hat trick, Chris Sinzak. We got a hat trick. That's right. Three reviews. One's an Apple Podcast review, one's a Podchaser review, and one's a Facebook recommendation. One of each, maybe for the first time ever. I don't know. I think so. It's a rare occurrence. Usually I'd say maybe we shouldn't blow our wad. Maybe we should save one or two of these for next week, but no. <laughs> Probably should have. No, we're not doing that. <laughs> we never get hat tricks. We're going to do them all three up right now, nice and quick. Here we go. First one, very entertaining is the title. It's got all five stars. It's an Apple Podcast review, and it goes a little something like this. I always look forward to the two of them just talking about great music. It's a good way to kill some time while driving or hanging out outside. If you love music... You will love this podcast. Short, sweet, to the point, comes to us from, let's see if I can read it, T. Kelly 70, Apple Podcast Review, from right here in the United States. Hell yeah. Then we got a Podchaser Review. Gotta love that. All right, this one has got all five pink stars, just the way we like it. Goes like this. Would you listen to Decibel Geek just because your friends do? I first learned about Decibel Geek when I saw a DBG sticker on Rock and Ron's truck outside of Herman's Hideaway here in Denver. Awesome. I think we were both going to see the Iron Maidens. Hmm, that's timely also. Right. I started listening to the podcast and got hooked. 
New Noise, Great Interviews, Radio Sucks, Beat the Geek. Listening to Chris and Aaron talk about rock and metal is just like talking music with your friends, and that's one of the reasons to listen. It's not just a podcast, it's a family. Most of the geeks of the week are on social media, and that creates a network of friends. And of course, rest in peace, Rock and Ron. Amen. Amen to that. And then we've got a reboot. (laughs) An old recommendation left for us on Facebook by our awesome friend, the Mighty K, Kristen Schembeck. She's been a great friend of ours for a long time. She was excited to tell us she re-upped her recommendation. And this is what she had to say. Hey, do you love hard rock and heavy metal like me? My number one podcast, hands down. When did I start listening to this podcast? How did I even find this podcast? Mm -hmm. I do not know. (laughs) (laughs) I can't remember. (laughs) Me neither. It's been a whirlwind of a life changer. Yes, a podcast. Two dudes talking about the music I love. Music that is the soundtrack to my life. My growing up days to the present and the future. Chris and Aaron are our hosts. They give us news, inside info on the making of an album, a game show, lots of laughs, new and older music, the live show, rest in peace rock and Ron. These two guys know what they are doing, so get on whatever app you use, be it Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podchaser, iTunes, just to name a few. So go listen, and you can thank me later. And we thank you right now, Mighty K. Awesome review. She's the best. And it was a sentiment that you know we heard a couple of times in those, and we just hit the one-year anniversary of losing Rock and Ron this last week, and... Still, still pretty tough, to be honest with you. And it's still hard to believe he's gone, and I still miss him all the time. Yeah, it was between losing him and our friend Gary Corbett. It it was last year was rough. I mean, as much of a triumph as Rock and Pod was, triumph, pun intended, um, it was rough to lose both of those guys in the same year because they both meant so much to us. But uh, we know they're looking down and, and proud of what we've accomplished and what we're going to accomplish in the future. So, you know, love those guys and love all of you that love them because I'm sure they feel the love from, from you as well. Yeah, for sure. You know, two of the most important parts of Decibel Geek history. If there's ever a Decibel Geek Hall of Fame, right there you got two guys that are first ballot for sure. Yeah, definitely. So we do what they would have us do. And we keep on rocking, and that's exactly what we're going to do because we are the Decibel Geek Podcast, and that's the only way we know. So we got to do it. So we keep on doing it, but we can't do it without the help of our friends. And who are our most awesome friends in the entire world? Well, let me tell you. It's the people that will find us on social media, whether it be Facebook or Twitter. They'll find the post that says, hey, guess what, everybody? We got a new episode out. It's the best and worst of Iron Maiden. And they will take that episode news and they will share it with their friends. They'll retweet it to the Twitterverse. And when that happens, we get a list that gets put together. It counts and tallies each and every awesome person that takes the time to share our episodes to let people know what we're doing here. And without them, we wouldn't have any Geeks of the Week. 
Geeks of the Week this week are Adam Cox, Rockin' Ron Runyon, Kevin Williams, In Obscuria Podcast, Thor Bjorn Olsen, Ray Coon, The Great Affairs, Pantheon Podcast, Joshua Toomey. Joshua Toomey shared an episode, Aaron. Wow, we're going to be famous. It's just because we mentioned his name. But thanks anyway, Josh. Jeffrey Mendenhall, John Phillips, David Glenn, Simon Cat, Brent Tibbetts, Mark Alden Taylor, Mark and Jerry BS Sessions, Freeform Rock Podcast, Aaron Baker, Shay Hargett, Matt Ashcraft, Sit and Spin with Joe, Mike Parnell, Cesar Atando, Kristen Schimbeck, David Cathy, Tom Smoke Belmondo, Jeff Taylor, Ernesto Aguiar, Keith Rockford, Eladio, Kevin's on Fire, Bill Elam, Doug Fox, JJ McElhenney, Sean Cullen, Vet Halen, Gregory Muse, Will Honeycutt, Joseph Capone, Scott Crouch, and as always, the, the Mooger Fooger. That's right. Those are our people, the best ones in the entire world, the people that help us share and retweet what we've got going on here at the Decibel Geek Podcast, whether that's an episode of Fresh Blood, whether that's a Radio Sucks radio show like last week. We had a lot of fun with that one. Everybody's digging it. We're bringing them the new tunes, giving them a peek into the future. It's good stuff. Right now, I don't know about you, but I'm ready to talk some Maiden. It's time to piss off some people, so enjoy. So coming up this Saturday night, we've got the big party right here in Nashville. We're hoping all our friends come and hang out with us. We've got one of our favorite bands, Rock United, is coming and playing. It's at Bowie's, which is downtown, which I've never been there. I'm told it's a super cool venue. And everybody knows Rock United because they played at pretty much all the Rockin' Pods, and everybody loved them, so they're coming in. We've got something special going on where we've got a band coming in and playing called Power Slave, and it's a tribute to, of course, Iron Maiden. And so I thought, you know, we are just we just did a best and worst of Poison and had a good time with it. Everybody liked it. Everyone was saying, you know, you should do more best and worst episodes. And so with this coming up this weekend, I thought, what a better time to do the best and worst of Iron Maiden in the 80s. And Chris says, I love Iron Maiden. Let's do it. <laughs> You asshole. <laughs> You're going to make me the bad guy immediately. Thanks. Uh, we got to establish our roles here right off the bat. I love Iron Maiden. All of it. <laughs> I like Iron Maiden. I don't love Iron Maiden, but I like them. Okay. So, Chris, why don't you tell them who we got a special guest? We needed an expert opinion to join us in this discussion of Iron Maiden in the 80s. And, man, you found the perfect guy. Okay, yeah, so with the show coming up, um, I've known a, a few members of Power Slave for a long time, including this guy. Welcome, uh, Chris Denae, to the show, and I did pronounce that correctly, right? Yes, you did. Thank you so much. Yeah, I didn't know how to until for the longest time. I was like, is it Dunnit, or what is that? Is it, it's a French name, I'm assuming, right? Yep, yes, yeah. Oh, okay, but yeah, so I, but I, the, my knowledge of your fandom of Iron Maiden goes back before Power Slave because I uh, had a couple of opportunities to to meet up with Nico um, when he was in town a couple of times, and I would you know share pictures on Facebook of it. And both times, it, Chris was immediately like, "If you know of any way to get in touch with him, let me know because I need to get something signed by him." And you know, I got the impression right away that you are like a major hardcore Iron Maiden fan. Absolutely. Absolutely. Big time. Let's see. If you can get a hold of him, let me know. I need to know his barbecue recipe. Right. 
Oh yeah, we ate at his restaurant a few months ago in Florida. It was great. Oh nice, it was damn good. Yeah. yeah, it was very cool. Yeah, That's what I've heard. So how so how far back does the Maiden fandom go? What was your like your first exposure to him? First album, all that good stuff. Uh, very very first exposure was the singer in my high school band. Uh, used to hang out at a record store, and so the guy that ran the place kind of knew him, and he gave him a killer's button that he had on his uh, jean vest. And I thought, wow, that's pretty cool looking. You know what is that? You know, and so we had heard of the band, and then it was probably just like a couple weeks or a couple months later, another good friend of mine actually bought the killer's album he's like chris you got to come over to hear this and he popped it on and i just heard you know the song the title track you know with the bass starting off and then you know the harmonics that come in almost sounds like a scale as he's running up and down the neck and just never heard anything like it and just kind of flipped out and then he said oh yeah they're opening up for judas priest in dayton next week which is like an hour from cincinnati and i was only like 14 at the time and i was like asking everybody in high school if they knew anyone was going so it turned out a friend of a friend's older brother and a buddy of his were going up so i rode up with like two guys that i never even met before wow. and i uh, saw them on the killers tour open up for judas priest nice damn yeah. what a fucking lineup <laughs> oh yeah 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 been a the big maiden fan ever since that's hell awesome. yes man that's amazing so you got to see them what that was at their first tour of the united states yeah yeah that was with paul diano yeah paul diano on vocals yeah amazing oh man i'd love to see that i'm so jealous yeah <laughs> Or as I like to call it, the best era of Iron Maiden. Go ahead and throw the tomatoes at me. Uh-huh. Get them ready. <laughs> I, love the, I love the Deano era. I mean, I'm partial to Bruce, but I love the Deano era, too. Yeah, I'm the same way, man. I love it all. Yes. Yeah. It's all good. So we, so another reason we do these best and worst of episodes, and you know, we try to do the bigger known bands, because obviously it gets, gets more people to listen, but also gives us an opportunity. Because like with bigger na- bands like Poison and bands like that, it's like, you know, those songs are kind of in our DNA and, and yeah. you don't really listen to them that often. So the big opportunity with these episodes is we, it kind of forces us to go back through the discography and, you know, mm-hmm. see if your perspective changed, you know, in all these years since. So it, I, I've given all the albums a day in court from the eighties and uh, I've got a few thoughts on this, but, uh, we're going to pick our best and our worst, basically our favorite and our least favorite from each album. Now, Chris, I know being the diehard fan you are, picking a least favorite for some, from some of these albums is probably going to be torture for you, isn't it? Yeah, I actually had, give it, I had to give it some thought. I was like, wow, you know, because, yeah, there's somewhere, there's not a bad song on the album, my my opinion. And, you know, it's okay. So which one is the least favorite? Yeah. 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 So that same thing I kind of went through, too. And it's like, oh, so this is actually the best and the least best of Iron Maiden, because <laughs> they're all the best, but some somehow right. you got to pick which one's the worst. It's not easy. I know for me, when I was a kid, it was the older, cool dudes, the long-haired rock guys wearing Iron Maiden t-shirts, and I'd see those dudes and be like, man, they're so cool, you know, and Iron Maiden, holy shit, you know, and my Uncle Bruce was selling his record collection, and immediately I took all the Kiss and then I went back, I think I got Ozzy, and then I'm looking at Iron Maiden, and I'm looking at the album covers, and I'm like, these are amazing, you know, how cool they look, but they were kind of scary, too, you know, they were dangerous-looking albums, you know, where it made you wonder, you know, am I going to go to hell if I listen to this? I mean, we're talking about the 80s, but I had to, man, I had to, eventually I had to get them, so I did, brought them home, he had pretty much everything, and just loved it, loved it. I've always dug Maiden. Yeah. And for me, um, it's weird. My my first exposure to the band came many years before the first time I owned one of their records. 
and I will get the actually my first record is going to be near the end of this episode that we talk about. But my first exposure to the band is pretty early, uh, at least at the beginning of the time Bruce was in the band, because I was one of the lucky few kids on my block that had MTV in the early days. So I remember and I remember like, uh, you know, during the day, MTV was very you know, middle of the road, you're going to get REO Speedwagon videos and, you know, maybe some Michael Jackson, but it was never anything offensive at all. It was very just kind of blase. It was still interesting. But then I remember I started having sleepovers with friends around this time, around 1983. And it was the first time I got to stay up and watch MTV late. And if, if you guys remember MTV late at night was a different animal entirely especially in those days yeah so i remember the video for number of the beast comes on and i'm having a sleepover with my friend and it scared the living hell out of both of us we were freaked the fuck out i mean i'm i'm only like what six seven years old when this video is on tv so uh i remember it frightened the hell out of me and then of course we go back and we talk to the older kids at school about oh we saw this video by this band called iron maiden and of course they they already know who they are and they're like oh yeah but then this is in rural georgia so we're talking about you know bible belt central and of course all the rumors about the satanic stuff comes out of course the song says 666 the number of the beast you know yeah and they're like oh my god those guys are devil worshipers and of course the kids telling me about this are like but it's cool as fuck because of that um but i i remember there was a real like essence of danger about this band uh when i first got into them yeah and then um Run to the Hills, I think, was the second video I saw, and that one was kind of creepy, too. But I also remember all the the jean jackets with the back patches that everybody had and, you know, all the T-shirts. And I got to say, I mean, visually, for as far as album covers, I don't even even over Kiss, I don't think anybody tops Iron Maiden as far as, like, album cover art goes. No way. Right. At the fair, the mirrors and stuff like that. Just the images of Eddie everywhere. Man, it's something else, you know, to to grow up in the age where music seemed kind of dangerous, where somebody might say, oh, maybe you shouldn't listen to that, you know, or, man, this is kind of scary looking. I don't know if I should listen to it. I'm sure glad I did. And we're going to talk about seven albums today spanning the entire length of the 80s, which Iron Maiden in their prime. I mean, there's a little something here for everybody to love. So here we go. The best and worst of Iron Maiden. Got to kick it off at the very beginning, 1980, the debut album, self-titled Iron Maiden. Now, the Paul Diano era is just, it's this sort of raw, unfettered, just rage that, that comes through the music. And also, they were a little, I, I'd like to say, a little more experimental on those first two records, you know, because, and yeah, it's probably the band finding their sound and all, but... You guys know I'm a giant Thin Lizzy fan, so I I hear with all the dual guitar stuff, I definitely hear some Thin Lizzy influence. I don't know if they were an influence on Iron Maiden at all, but I it sounds like it to me. Gotta be, you know. And Bruce Dickinson is definitely twice the vocalist that that Deano was, but just because you can sing higher doesn't mean that I prefer you to be in the band. You know, I I mean Pavarotti could outsing Brett Michaels, but I don't want him singing for Poison. So I mean. <laughs> You know, but uh, That'd be yeah, but I just this whole era is just so it's classic, and and they, I I can't imagine you know Chris, you got into them when Killers was out. I can't imagine what it was like getting into them at that time because, and as one thing that will shine through on all these records we go through, 
There's nobody that sounds like Iron Maiden. Nobody. Right. Like they truly are one of the most unique sounding rock and metal bands ever created. Yeah, I mean, back to your point, they definitely were influenced by Thin Lizzy. I've heard Steve Harris mention that and stuff. So that, that that's no surprise. And uh, I totally agree with you. I mean, I, I love the rawness of that first album. It's just, you know, like so kind of garagey and stuff. You can hear noise from the guitars and, and stuff like that. And it's, uh, yeah, it just got a certain, you know, raw energy to it for sure. But yeah, when I heard Killers, you know, between the song Killers and Ratchet, I mean, both of them start off with the bass. And I've never heard, you know, I never really heard a bass player play like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and let alone start off the songs. And that's what just kind of, you know, floored me. Yeah, man. Iron Maiden, one of a kind for sure. This first album, it's almost impossible to pick a best because there's there's not this. It's a perfect album to me. Like there's nothing on here I would skip. I love the whole thing. Mm. It's hard to pick a favorite. I mean, you got Running Free, which is a metal classic. You know, Charlotte yeah. the Harlot, that's an all-timer as well. I listen to this album and I think, Metallica and Dave Mustaine and guys like that were all listening to this. You know, you can hear it in songs like Prowler and Sanctuary, oh, yeah. Phantom, even Transylvania. This is all like pre-thrash stuff. One of my all-time favorite Maiden songs, Remember Tomorrow's on here. I love that one because it's got like the slow build into like an explosion of a song. Mm-hmm. But man, my favorite on here, I think I'm going to go with the title track. You know, I love... I love the way the guitar comes in and builds and then it's into the yeah, you know, and then just starts rocking. It's it's thrashy. It's got that singable chorus. I want to sing along with it. And you're going to, if you're hearing this in your car, you're going to be bobbing your head while you're driving. To me, I think the title track is the best song by just a hair because they're all really good. Worst song? Oh man, it's hard to pick a worse song because they're all pretty good. I guess Strange World. I don't know. It's kind of a Sabbathy style kind of a ballad. I love it all. So I guess if I have to pick one, I guess I go Strange World. All right. So for me, it, it, this one's hard. And the thing I want to point out before we get into any of these records is the thing with the Maiden is. They're definitely one of the most consistent bands. Like they didn't really change up a lot of kind of the main focus of their music like over the years. Like I know we'll get into Somewhere in Time and Seventh Son, which some people say that it's a dramatic shift. When I go back and listen to these, I don't hear that dramatic of a shift personally. But it, like I'm saying, there's no music from the Elder with Iron Maiden. There's no not dynasty. in the eighties. There's not no, they they didn't try to change that much. So it's kind of like there's nothing I can really point out on any of these records where I'm like, that song absolutely sucks. I can't say that because the albums right. are, are consistent. They're short, too. Well, they're short in track in track number, but not in track length. So for me, um, I could have picked any number of these songs as my favorite. I mean, Running Free almost made it for me just because I like that it's it's punchy and it's yeah. just right to the point. But I got to say, the, the song that's probably kind of mimics what they would do later on with bruce the most is probably is my favorite song on the record that's phantom of the opera i i think it's just an incredible song it's got all these different peaks and valleys to it it just it takes you on a whole different journey and i usually don't like longer songs but this one it'll hold your attention from start to finish so that would be my favorite Keep your 
pick a it's hard to pick a least favorite because they're all good but um i'm gonna pick my least favorite is aaron one aaron's all-time favorites i'm gonna pick remember tomorrow it, it's mm. I, I i'll never skip it but I, I guess if i have to pick one that would be the one hmm. yeah my favorite i'm with you chris phantom of the opera that's actually one of my top 10 iron maiden songs of all time i mean i just always love that you know how it starts off with the guitar and the bass and then the vocals are you know all matching note for note and then yeah all the different changes and then they go into that uh dual harmony arpeggiated thing towards the end very classical sounding uh yeah absolutely phantom of the opera hands down is my favorite on the album uh least favorite i'd have to go with strange world uh like aaron said it just not not a bad song but just not as exciting as anything else on the album for me yeah and that one i kept reading i was you know reading other reviews just because i wanted to see what fans think in general of this these records and that one seems to if you have to pick a least favorite that strange world seems to come up the most but I listened to it. I'm like, no, I like this song. I think it's great. So, yeah, I couldn't pick it. The least of the best. Yeah. Yeah. So then we go to 1981, and Killers comes out. And uh, this is the first one they did with Martin Birch. And I think you could see kind of a quantum leap in production value on on this one when it came out. Uh, I still, I think this is one of the top five album covers of all time. I I think it's it's a perfect album cover, and it's the best Eddie's ever looked on an album cover, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, this one, geez, what an album this is, and I don't. It, it's kind of a toss up between do I like the first one or this one better. I kind of go back and forth. I guess the production would give it an edge to me on this one being a little bit better. But I listen to both. These are the two records of Maidens I actually go back to pretty often. But uh, yeah, there's nothing. There's nothing bad on this one either. I mean, nothing I could say sucks. They're all great. I mean, well, they're not all great, but they're they're all at least good songs. Um, my now my best and my favorite on this album was easy to pick because it's one of my favorite Iron Maiden songs, and that's Wrathchild. can't you can't go wrong with it it's it's just an incredible song and uh the residency played that one a lot live i remember the times when we would go see the residency and they, they would break that one out pretty regularly for worst or i guess least favorite on this one i would have to go with drifter uh just doesn't quite do it for me um uh, it just kind of sits there it kind of drifts pun intended um but no yeah uh, not a bad song but but definitely my least favorite on the record all right. Well, again, this is a pretty tough one. I actually, out of the two albums, prefer the first one. Mm. Just, I think there's more songs on the first one I like than on this one. 
There's a couple of songs on here I'm not really big on, but I like most of them. It's tough to pick the best one, but I'm going to have to agree with Chris. I'm going to go with Wrathchild. I think it's, you can't beat it, really. It's amazing. The worst song, I'm not a big fan of Drifter, but I think I like Prodigal Son just a little bit less. That one never really did nothing for me. Mm. Even the instrumental, Genghis Khan, is kick-ass. It's amazing. Yeah, it's epic. Oh, it's awesome. Love that song. Pretty cool, man. I love the whole thing. The songs are all nice and short, punchy, rocking tunes. You know, again, this is what the future thrash masters are listening to going, man, we could do something like that. You know, can is it possible to get heavier than that? And then go on to produce what would become thrash metal, totally influenced by these first two Maiden albums. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if I had to pick between the two albums, I would go with the first one, too, just because of the rawness of it. Um, but I love Killers, you know, pretty much top to bottom also. And and this is a tough one for me. I mean, my least favorite would be Prodigal Son also, uh, just because it's kind of, you know, all in like a major key. And, and I don't know, Iron Maiden playing major keys just doesn't work as well for me. Um, you know, I like that darker minor sound and stuff. So that'd probably be my least favorite. Uh, my my favorite though it's really really tough because I love Wrathchild and I love Killers both so I mean it's almost like a tie for me between those two you know Wrathchild is just you know short and in your face you know from the get go and and uh, you know but then Killers is just you know with the with the screams and the the bass starting off again and the harmonics on the guitar and, and things like that um, if I, if I had to pick one. I would probably lean towards Killers just because it's a little bit more, I guess, cinematic or epic. I found you, and now there is no place to run. Excitement, it shakes me. Oh, God help me, what have I done? Oh, yeah, I've done it again. Wrathchild just kind of melts your face too so that's a that's a really tough one for me but i'd have to go with killers yeah it's a great album man i remember the thing that i remember the most about killers i think as being little is seeing the artwork for the purgatory single oh yeah i don't remember if it was on a t-shirt or if it was on like one of those mirrors that you win at the fair or what it was freaked me the hell out i was like i shouldn't be listening to this stuff yeah <laughs> Now have have they played every song from this one live? Do you know? Um, I don't know. I would probably imagine so in the early days. Um, you know, because they only had so much material. And I'm sure at some places, you know, when they hit the US, probably not because they were doing probably like a 40 minute set at the most, I would think. And they probably did, you know, Iron Maiden uh, and a couple others off the first album. Uh, but mm. I'm sure over in, in uh Europe they they probably played about everything off the album, I would think. Yeah. Oh, it's, uh, I was going to bring this up because you'll appreciate this one. Uh, Aaron and I were in Florida a few months ago. We stayed at our friend's place, and uh, he's one of the few people that owns the uh, the rare uh, Soundhouse tapes. Wow. That's right. He showed it to us. Yeah, we got to see it. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, I heard, I've heard that's incredibly sought after in yeah. fan circles. Yeah. Well, there's only like 5,000 of them made originally, I think. Yeah, something like that. How many of those are left here in 2022 over all them years? Probably right. not too many. Man, I think he got right. I think he got it when it was new too. Yeah. Pretty wild. Wow. 
It's pretty cool. Yeah. I didn't want to touch it. I just wanted to look at it. (laughs) (laughs) That's what she said. Uh. (laughs) All right. So then we move into 1982, Number of the Beast, another incredible album cover that probably scared the living hell out of parents and children. Um, I think this, I guess, you know, the first album with Bruce, this is when they kind of break big everywhere. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a classic album. I mean, what, what else can you say about it? But, and, uh, the last album with, uh, Clive Burr on drums right before Nico comes into the picture. Although I, Clive Burr, I, you know, I got to give respect to him. Amazing drumming on those records that he did, you know? Oh God. Yes. Yes. Big time. You know, Nico gets a lot of the, the shine now, but God, Clive Burr was amazing in the early days. Um, yeah, man. And as I mentioned, the video for, for (laughs) number of the beast on this was, uh, incredibly you know it definitely had an impact on me a lot of stuff i could pick on this for my favorite i could pick the title track because it's great um hallow be thy name is cool i like uh, the prisoner we've actually played that on the show before i love that song but man i i you know and this is you know it's kind of an easy layup pick but i mean because it was a big single but i gotta go with run to the hills it's one of those that i still go back and listen to and it's just an incredible song i like the history behind it and everything the video was amazing for my favorite and for my least favorite this one this is where we finally get it start getting into songs where i don't like the song i don't think they're bad songs but i really don't like them i don't think gangland's very good i've, I've never liked that song very mm. much it just doesn't do a whole lot for me but yeah other than that i mean a lot of great stuff on this one you know it's kind of interesting to me about that gangland song and i've been listening to nothing but 80s Iron Maiden all week long over and over again and something that jumps out at me every time that Gangland would come up is how it reminded me of a Van Halen song Mm. from the drums to the intro of the guitar it almost sounds like Maiden trying to do a Van Halen song it doesn't really work for them but still pretty cool in its own way to pick a best and worst off of here because there's some really good stuff um you know yeah run to the hills it's hard to top it 
it's you know I, I try to look at it and say you know don't think about the fact that you know you've heard it a million times when we do right. these things i try not to let that slant me but man that the title track is so creepy and scary and rocks so much and is just such an iconic song and you know the fact that the album was called that looking the way it does i mean it just freaked people out chris watched the video when he was a little kid made him pee his pants a little bit i mean that there's power in that man there's some serious power in that and that's why my best song off of number of the beast is number of the beast his worst song I don't know I like them all I guess but I don't know Invaders I think hmm. the, the first song I when I listened back to this that was one of the things that kind of grabbed me too was like man they could have they should have let off Run to the Hills or the title track I think you know Invaders would have been better placed down seven or eight somewhere on the album but not kicking it off so when you hear a Maiden album, you expect the first song to really kick you in the face, you know, and let you know what kind of party you just walked into. But Invaders doesn't really do that. It's kind of a weak opening track, and so I think I'm going to go with it. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you on that. I was always disappointed that was the lead-off song. You know, definitely, I think, should have been, uh, you know, Number of the Beast. Maybe they might have done that because I think on that tour, at least some of the shows, that's what they opened up with. So... They kind of thought like maybe, uh, you know, that would be a good opening track for the album, maybe. But um, but yeah, I, I always found it kind of a, a weak opener. But my favorite off the album is easy because it's one of my top three Maiden songs of all time. And that's how it'd be like game. Yeah. Uh, just I never get sick of that. Love playing it. I mean, it's just so epic the way it progresses and stuff. And then, you know, just kicks up the tempo at the end, just rocks out. Yeah, there's that's one of my top three Maiden songs of all time. favorite run to the hills oh no <laughs> well here and chris you'll understand to me that is the rock and roll all night of iron maiden yeah, yeah. that makes sense yeah. you know it's like i'd rather hear that than no maiden mm-hmm. but i'd pick like any other maiden song over it just because i'm so over that song i get it uh, yeah. you know i liked it when it came out but yeah it's just kind of worn out it's welcome with me and it just i could go a while with you know not hearing it if i could pick other maiden songs to listen to so no, that that makes total sense. Total yeah. sense. When my kid was over here the other night, I was telling him that this is what we were going to be doing. And he goes, Iron Maiden, you know, you always listen to Iron Maiden. I said, yeah. He says, uh, well, what, what songs do they do? 
and right away I go, well, I think probably the number one song everybody thinks of is Run to the Hills. Right, right. I said, and then, but there's so many others, you know, they got so many albums over the years. I said, you just got to kind of sample it all. But yeah, that's immediately, you're totally right. That's the rock and roll all night of Iron Maiden. I th- I, yeah. I thought the one that everybody thinks of is Empire of the Clouds. Oh. <laughs> no. The ultimate beer break song. <laughs> Run to the Hills will maybe be on an Applebee's commercial one day. Yeah, it might. <laughs> you can aspire to it. <laughs> That's funny. So then we get to 1983 and an album recorded at Compass Point in Nassau, the Bahamas. Yep. Which is a strange place to imagine an Iron Maiden album being created. But I think they did a lot of records there, including Judas Priest. Yeah, yeah, they did. Uh, yeah. Hey, one thing before we move on from Number of the Beast. Do you remember when we did this with uh, Julian Gill and we talked about Judas Priest? Yes. And he talked about the Judas Priest album that got messed up mm-hmm. in the pr- in the pressing where side two was side well, A and reverse. Well, when I look at this, it feels like that might be kind of the same thing. Like five, six, seven, and eight should have been one, two, three, and four. Right. One, two, three, and four should have been side B. Huh. If you look at it, I mean, that doesn't that make a whole lot of sense? Yeah, you open with Number of the Beast and Run of the Hills. That talk about an intention grabber. Yeah. How to be that game is definitely a good closing song though. Yeah, mm-hmm. true. So I think that should have remained at the end. But yeah, I totally agree with you that five and six should have been one and two for sure. Yeah. That was uh Julian Gill's his theory was like that Judas Priest stained clash should have been done in the reverse order of what it was. Uh, yeah. gotcha. if you look at the track listing, you'd be like, Yeah, it should have. But yeah. Uh, yeah. Maybe. Yeah. So I guess that brings us up to 1983. The band is back. I think this is considered the classic era now with Peace of Mind. Another amazing album cover that you look at and you go, holy shit, this has got to be good. I heard that this that the name of this album was initially going to be Food for Thought and then they changed it to Peace of Mind. Is that true? Yeah, huh. that is correct. Much better title. I never knew that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Get a big uh, handful of brains to eat. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so this one, another one Martin Birch did with them. This is where I'm probably going to piss some people off. This is probably my least favorite of all the 80s albums. Dang. I, oh, wow. I, I tried going back through it. And I mean, not that there's bad stuff on it. It's just, I mean, the, the songs that are great on it, I think, are, are really great, obviously. Um, but like, I always hear people give all this praise for Where Eagles Dare. That that song does absolutely nothing for me. What? I listened to it like three times today, and I'm like, what am I missing that everyone loves about this song? I, not that it's a bad song. It just it doesn't really turn me on at all. It's just not so great. Wow. Um, it, it's a little long. It's a little long. Yeah, and, and they start getting into the longer tracks on this record. Yeah. But And that's not my only gripe, though. But like it, the It's weird for as great sounding as... Number of the Beast is, I think the production sounds lacking compared to Number of the Beast on this one. It almost, maybe it's too polished. I don't know, but everything's a little more muffled down at least. But Or maybe it's just the version I was listening to. I don't know. But um, there's great stuff on here. I mean, Flight of Icarus, Die With Your Boots On, the, obviously The Trooper. Uh, the, there's great stuff on here. But then there's a few songs on here I'm not really a big fan of. But uh I, I for best I, and this is probably going to be another rock and roll all night to Chris. I'm going to go with the Trooper just because it's it's an amazing song. But and I'm sure Maiden fans are probably groaning right now, going, "Oh God, that one again." But 
I'm an elementary level Iron Maiden fan, so give me a break on that. But for worst, I could have picked a few different songs on here as far as ones that I, that I don't get into. I'm not big into Quest for Fire. I'm not really that big into to Tame a Land, but the one that I don't like the most is Sun and Steel. I just it did nothing for me. It just it just kind of lays there and is kind of lifeless. So that, that's that's my thoughts on it. Lifeless, but life is like a wheel. <laughs> well played. favorite two favorite on this album oh man i love where eagles dare i think that song just kills you know because maiden's good for that you hear a song but kind of hear a you see a movie playing your head kind of like that it gives me good D D vibes um man flight of icarus is killer but if you need a song that you, you got something really important that you have to do in a minute you know and you're waiting and it's because once that song's over, you get up, you walk through the door, you can conquer anything. And again, that's powerful, and I like and respect that. So that's my favorite song on the album. actually is uh, i'm with chris believe it or not the trooper that's still one of my top three maiden songs of all time also um i never get sick of that song and i've heard that literally thousands of times um funny story i've actually listened to that album probably thousands of times because um back in the 80s i had a car and i listened to this on cassette and the cassette got stuck in the cassette player of my car for six months i could not get it out fortunately it was one of those that, that automatically flipped to the other side of the tape but for six months all i could listen to in my car was the peace of mind album that's wow. a good problem to have yeah so i'm and i'm yeah i know of all the albums i'm glad it was that and i'm still not sick of it and uh funny thing is i the band that i had at the time we were a total cover band but we actually did seven maiden songs I and mean, we were practically a maiden tribute band and we actually did to tame a land and, um, which I've always kind of dug. So my favorite on the album is the Trooper. My least favorite, uh, yeah, I'm with uh, you know you guys like Quest for Fire. Just not 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 a thrilling song for me. That's cool. Yeah, the the, uh, the the album I got stuck in my in my CD player was the Kiss Sonic Boom CD. Oh snap! <laughs> it was a long few weeks. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> I bet. Yeah, I think the production on this album is a little bit drier, you know, especially on the guitar tones and stuff, which which I kind of dug because I thought the guitars matched a little bit better, like with the punch of the drums. But I can see where you're coming from, you know, sonic wise, you know, on it compared to like Killers. Yeah. 
So that brings us to 1984 and the namesake of your tribute band, Power Slave. I guess yep. I don't have to ask if you love this record. Um, but uh, this one, this almost, this almost was. I was going to almost say that this was my favorite of the 80s albums. It's second, and we'll get to my favorite in a minute. But, uh, man, this one, uh, another one recorded in the Bahamas with Martin Birch. Man, so many great songs on this one. Also, another iconic album cover, the whole Egyptian theme is amazing. Um, And I remember there was like a big interest in King Tut and all that stuff around that time, so I'm wondering if that's where they got the idea for it. But then just the name Power Slave is just an incredible name for a record you, you can't get any more metal than that but uh man this has uh incredible songs on it aces high two minutes of midnight amazing stuff the title track i mean there's really nothing but this this is one where the, every song is is gold i don't see a bad song in this record at all i mean they're all good I, there's nothing i'm like oh i don't like that one so much so they came back strong with with power slave the best, I'm, I'm going to be the typical guy again and pick Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. And I really almost picked Lost for Words just because it's incredible. You know, it's an amazing guitar playing. And I go back to that one a lot. But Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner is just classic. It's legendary. pick a worse i guess i would go with flash of the blade it's probably the one Hmm. that i that i like the least on here but it's not a bad song by any means hmm okay all right to me this album is when i was young i guess was the most important iron maiden album to me this was the first one i ever bought on cd i probably listened to power slave more than any other Iron Maiden album, added up all the time over the years. I mean, this one was with me constantly for a long time. Yeah, you're right. There's not a bad song on it. It may be my favorite Iron Maiden album of all time. I love them all, though. Back in the Village is killer. I think Flash of the Blade is badass. I can't... I guess if I'm going to pick a worse, I'm going to go with the instrumental just by default but I really like that too. But I'm going to agree with Chris on this one as well. I mean, you can't beat the epicness of Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. It is one of the coolest songs ever recorded, even with the weird, trippy middle part. It's just, I mean, I never heard nothing like it before.
I heard it for the first time and maybe even now. I mean, there's nothing like that song. And to then find out, oh, it was from this old, you know, poem from the 1700s or something and go, what? There's a whole other story that goes along with this thing. And those guys were cool about how they take their influences of like literature and stuff and fuse it into their songs to tell these amazing stories like you know power slave is even an amazing story it's a song but it's also a story about you know pharaoh and being the most powerful and being addicted to that power and by virtue then being a slave to that power and and two minutes to midnight and ace is high i mean these again are songs that you see the movie in your head while you're listening to the song but I mean, when it comes to cinematic reaction to music, I don't think anybody could ever top rhyme on the Ancient Mariner. Yeah, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there with you know Iron Maiden's music. That's one of the reasons I've always been into is like you said, when you listen to their songs, you can see the movie in your head, and I've just you know always gravitated towards them because of that. Um, my my least favorite on there would probably be the Instrumental Lost for Words. Um, it, it, it's still really cool. I'm not dissing it in any way, but I like probably every other instrument I've heard him do better. And of all the great tracks on there, to me, that's the probably, uh, you know, like you said, least favorite. Not a, not bad in any way. Just, you know, didn't stand up to the rest of the album, uh, in my opinion. Uh, it gets a little redundant in spots. I personally love Flash of the Blade. Um, I've always really, really dug that tune. But uh, my favorite off this album is Easy because it's my number one Iron Maiden song of all time. And that taste is high. You know, when I just hear that, dun, 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 you know, and then kicks in and just, I mean, I just yep. can't not, you know, bop up and down and shake my head and stuff. I mean, that song is just kick ass, you know, from the beginning. And it's just, you know, it's short and sweet and just, you just melt your face and then, you know, leaves you wanting more. And um, yeah, I mean, Ace is High, all time favorite Maiden song, hands down. Nice. Wow. Yeah. everything on this album yeah it's and it's aged very well it sounds fresh today even when you listen to it oh yeah. yeah yeah it still sounds great and when you're talking about amazing songs to kick off an album i mean the one two punch of ace is high in two minutes to midnight yeah yeah yep. yeah that's a great way to open a record or a show hint hint ah nice uh-huh. a little sneak preview there we're really hoping you guys come party with us this weekend. It's going to be a really good time. Yeah, it is. And I and thankfully I've done I think I've done all the work I need to do and I can actually get to hang out at an event that I booked. It's going to nice. be nice. Cool. <laughs> right on. So yeah, I think I think we're squared away. Um so we talked about Power Slaves, you know, aging well and sounding fresh. Well, the next one that comes out in 1986 somewhere in time, I, I you know, I, you know I, I read up a lot from fan reactions on you know where they place things and this one gets quite a bit of flack for the sound of it and i guess i see why but i mean this is the album that i came in on the band with as far as having my own copy of a record of theirs i had a friend at school who was a giant iron maiden fan 
I was like, ah, I never really got into them. I know a few songs. And he had just bought it, but he wasn't impressed with Somewhere in Time. So he gave me his cassette tape, and he goes, you can fucking have it. So I was like, okay. And I really got into this record at the time, and and, and but I hadn't gone back to it in many years. But I remember I loved the album cover, the whole futuristic thing and everything. I thought that was cool. You know, and when you're that age, the album covers grab you first. And oh, yeah. Maiden was was great. At, they were experts at that. But you know, and I know they they brought in guitar synths on this. But I was listening to it this week, and I'm kind of like, you know what? It does it works okay on this record. It's I know Judas Priest Turbo came out the same year, and that pissed off a lot of Priest fans. But this one, I it, it sounds like they went with the and I I still like Turbo, but this one sounds okay to me. I it sounds like an Iron Maiden album to me. I don't get really all the hate for it and. I had a blast, you know, revisiting it and listening to it. Um, and I will say, you know, the Deano era is my favorite era of, of Iron Maiden. But this album has my absolute favorite song of Iron Maiden, which is all the Iron Maiden fans are going to hate me for this. But I think Wasted Years is the best song they ever wrote and recorded. Cause wow. I think it's head and shoulders above everything else they've ever done. And that's maybe that's me being more of the pop metal commercial guy. But I remember when the video for that for that song came out, I was just entranced with that video, with all oh, the artwork and the photos. But the song itself really got to me, too. Me yeah. and my brother would stay up watching MTV for hours wanting that video to come back on. And, and MTV did give it quite a bit of airplay. And then the, and the solo, oh, my God, the guitar solo on that song, just insane. That's my favorite Iron Maiden song of all of them, but so many great songs on. It. I mean, the 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 opener, caught somewhere in time. Sea of Madness is amazing. Uh, the loneliness of the long distance runner. I'm not even a long song guy, and I like that song. Yeah, um, yeah. sounds like the title to a budgie song, don't it? Yeah, it actually does. Sounds exactly like a budgie song. I never thought of it that way, but uh, the but the one, and I'm only gonna pick this one because I like every song on this record. I don't think there's a bad song on this record. I'm sure a lot of Maiden fans do. Um, the one I'm going to pick is my least favorite, and don't get mad at me. It's only because it goes on a little too long for me is Alexander the Great, because I think it's a great song. Gotcha. Hmm. Okay. This is getting into my era now, too, when I'm getting to the age of buying albums. I'm not quite all in on Iron Maiden just yet at this point, but, you know, everybody else is wearing the T-shirts and, you know, all the older kids are into them. You know, and now we're, I'm getting closer to that age. So this one, I mean, I definitely remember Wasted Years. And that's a strong song, man. I don't know if it's the greatest thing Iron Maiden's ever done, but it's good. I like Wasted <laughs> Years. Thing. But to me, I think the best song on the album, the one that rocks a little bit harder than that one, it's got a cool groove to it, a good vibe to it. It's Stranger in a Strange Land. It's always been one of my favorite that's Iron Maiden song. songs. They found this body lying where it fell. Time for all to see the brave new world, the brave new world. 
it's the best song on this album. The only one giving it a run for its money, I think, is Wasted Years. Because there is some stuff on here that doesn't really have the strength of earlier Maiden. And one of the songs that's on here that, you know what, I'll even skip this one when it comes up because I just don't like it very much. It's a song called Heaven Can Wait. You don't like that one? No, don't really like that. It's, I don't know, there's some, Hmm. I do hear the difference because, again, I haven't listened to all these albums in succession like this probably ever, you know, and this week I spent a lot of time with these albums and I really do feel the difference between this album and the previous and it may be because of the synthesizers, and it's going to get worse, I know, but this was a little bit different. I, this this whole album doesn't grab me the same way any of those earlier ones that we've already talked about did, even, even now. But the songs that are really good on it may be lifted up from the songs that aren't so hot. But yeah, best, Stranger in a Strange Land, worst, Heaven Can Wait. Hmm, interesting. Um, you know, funny thing about this, uh, you know, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the uh, documentary they did, uh, Iron Maiden Behind the Iron Curtain, when they were on mm-hmm. tour for the Power Slave album. But uh, I haven't seen it. Uh, in there, there's a clip where Bruce Dickinson pulls a Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley. There's a guy uh, talking to him over there, like, you know, in Russia. And the guy's like, yeah, I like the heavy metal. I like to play the heavy metal on my synthesizer. And Bruce is like. Oh, you can't play heavy metal on synthesizers, and then they bring out these synthesizers yeah. <laughs> on the next album. <laughs> <laughs> it's all that Sorry. guy's fault. <laughs> I've always got a kick out of that, but yeah, I kind of dig the guitar synths in there too, and I thought Priest did it pretty well too. But I just thought, you know, how how funny that was. He's telling this guy, you're crushing his dreams. You can't play heavy metal on a synthesizer, and then this whole album's full of synths. <laughs> um, my least favorite on the album is, is kind of an easier one. Uh, you know, sorry, Aaron, but it's actually Stranger in a Strange Land. Um, wow. it, it's just hmm. a little too middle of the road tempo wise for me. I mean, it's still a cool song, you know, and I like it, but it just, you know, it just kind of a little bit too. It, it, it's not slow enough to be like a ballad, but it's not up tempo enough to keep my interest. It's I'm not much of a middle of the road guy when it comes to tempos. And that's kind of the groove on that. So it kind of loses me a little bit. Um, Heaven Can Wait, uh, I, I that song has personal memory, two of my greatest memories of Iron Maiden, because I actually got to get up on stage and sing that with them twice. No way. Um, what? Yeah, in, in Cincinnati on the No Prayer for the Dying tour, and then in wow. Cleveland, Ohio on Fear of the Dark tour. That's amazing. Um, so every time I hear Heaven Can Wait, yeah, every time I hear Heaven Can Wait, you know, it brings back that memory of being on stage with them, you know, singing the backup vocals and stuff. So, uh, so that has fond memories for me. So how does that happen? I mean, that's an amazing thing to happen to somebody once, but it's happened to you twice in the same song? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it, it, it's funny. It, good, I'm glad you asked because it's actually a funny story. Both times were, were different circumstances. Uh, the first time was on No Prayer for the Dying. That's when uh, they switched from Capitol Records to Sony Records. And I was... Um, working in a record store and I knew the guy uh, at the Sony uh, the, our Sony rep in New York pretty well from dealing with him over the phone and he's a metalhead he knew I was and stuff so they were stoked about having Iron Maiden on Sony Records and so they actually ran this contest across the US for different regions and each region was like four to six states or whatever and the contest was whichever store did the best Iron Maiden display that was the grand prize. You got to get up on stage and sing back of vocals and heaven can wait. Wow. So I brought in my entire fucking album collection of 40 albums, all my Iron Maiden <laughs> posters. I mean, the whole record store is plastered in Iron Maiden. So it's kind of a no brainer. I was going to win. Um, <laughs> 
So yeah, so I got so I got to win and go, and go up on stage. The funny thing is, on the way there, my my zipper broke in my pants. I don't know if people could skip up my flowers down while I'm on stage. You know, kind of embarrassing. <laughs> um, and and part of it too, if there's any Maiden fans out there somewhere, there's got to be video footage of this of this because that was part of the prize too. We were actually supposed to get video footage of it. And that never ended up happening. And there were there were video cameras down front. And this was before, like, everybody had the video screens. So they weren't, like, doing video screen videotaping. They were actually videotaping, like, with pro cameras and stuff like that. So I've searched the Internet endlessly looking for video footage from uh, Iron Maiden at Cincinnati Gardens, No Prayer for the Dying Tour. Because, you know, hopefully that video exists. And I would just obviously love to see that with me up on stage. That would be amazing. Um, yeah, it was pretty wild because first time, you know, ever being really like on a big stage like that. And so I'm just like absorbing how the monitors sound, what the lights look like. And, you know, just like, you know, I'm only up there for like 40 seconds or so, but I'm just trying to like absorb every element of the whole thing and stuff is pretty wild. Um, and then a couple years later, I went up to Cleveland to see him on the No Prayer for the Dot or the Fear of the Dark tour. And we had backstage passes through the record label. We were hanging out backstage before the show. And I never met Rod Smallwood to this point. I mean, I knew who he was, obviously, their manager, uh, but I'd never met him, but I, I knew what he looked like. And so he was happened to be backstage. So me and my friend that were backstage went up and started talking to him. And it was kind of funny because I didn't even get to finish the sentence. I said, hey, Rod, you know, a couple years ago, there was a contest and I got to and he goes, oh, you want to get up on stage and sing with him again? And I was like, yes, that's what I'm getting at. <laughs> so wow. he got us up on to do um, uh, do it again on the fear of the dark tour um it was kind of funny because as i'm walking off the stage after we uh, we were singing it uh bruce comes over to the mic stand like kind of like starts like jabbing me at it so i knew he was in the fencing so i like started doing these fencing moves and stuff back and forth with him on stage wow <laughs> yeah it was it was pretty awesome wow that is so cool yeah so heaven kuwait you know that that has pretty fond memories for me um and i do like just like about every song off this album i love deja vu i like alexander the great loneliness and long this is running to me that's just a phenomenal song mm. man this is this one's really a tough one because it might be the loneliest loneliness and long distance runner it might be wasted years it might be caught somewhere in time uh because i love all three of those uh, the video for Wasted Years, though, is just so cool. I think I'm probably going to have to go with Wasted Years. Um, you know, because when I when I hear the song now, I just picture the video, and I just love that video. You know, all the, the history of Iron Maiden, all in that, you know, four-minute time span and stuff. Uh, and it's actually one of my favorite songs to play on stage, too. So, yeah, I'll probably go with Wasted Years as my favorite on that one. Nice. Awesome. All right, so I guess we got one album left to go. Yep. Yeah, so Seventh Son of a Seventh Son comes out April 11th, 1988. This one recorded in Munich, Germany. Much different uh, environment than the Bahamas. Uh, another w wild album cover. I remember when this came out. Um, you remember album flats? You know, there's the pieces oh, of yeah. paper that with yeah, the covers. Yeah, I got a bunch. <laughs> For, I don't remember where my brother got it from, but like I know they did a Can, uh, Can I Play With Madness EP around mm -hmm. that time. And with a with like its own cover, and my brother had the album flat for "Can I Play with Madness," and we used to have that in our bedroom. I, I'll never forget that. And I I, I got into that song through him because, and he bought Seventh Son. I know he did, and I used to listen to that too. This was all around the time I'm getting into Kiss and all these other bands. It was this was a a pure time of music discovery for me around eighty seven, eighty eight. So. 
it takes me back to a really good time. And I remember this. I, this one I didn't listen to as much as Somewhere in Time, but I remember liking it quite a bit when it came out. Um, God, so many good songs. The Evil That Men Do is amazing. Uh, the, the title track is odd. The Clairvoyant, what a song that is. I mean, it just... But, I mean, for for personal nostalgia reasons, I'm going to pick Can I Play With Madness as my favorite on this one. And that's one, like one of the ones that Sirius will still play from time to time. And every time it comes on, it just makes me smile because it's such a it's 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 actually made into kind of a happy sounding song, which mm-hmm. is not what they were really known for. A, a least favorite on this one. I like them all on this one, really. I don't think I hate anything on here. I guess I would go with the prophecy. It's probably the one that I that I like the least on this one. See, I had a feeling you would love this one the best because this one is like I don't know, man. It's awfully keyboardy for Iron Maiden. Yeah. No, I mean, but I mean, you got to remember, somewhere in time was the one that I got I got into the band on. So of course that one, it's all about timeline, and that's true. It's just whatever you got into when you were twelve, that's what you're going to like I the best. Know. It's all um, about somewhere in timeline. That's right. <laughs> I don't have my rim shot ready to pull it, to trigger, but uh, but but no, I mean I like this album a lot, but I, I I'll give the edge to somewhere in time over this one. See, and this one was the first maiden album I actually spent my own money on because I got it on cassette tape down at the Pomeda. And, man, listen to the hell out of this when I was young. Wore it out, you know. Songs like Can I Play With Madness and had such a cool video to it. I always love the song The Evil That Men Do. Yeah. Right. I don't know. I, after this last week of going back and listening to all these albums, it's it's tough to listen to this one in the context of all the rest because all the rest are so good. I don't know. This one doesn't hit me the same way as it did when I was young. And like you say, you know, when you're 12 years old and you're, you know, spending your money saving up to buy a cassette, you kind of predetermined to like it, you know, and so you're going to love it because you made the investment, so you better love it. Yep, and you'll keep listening until you do. <laughs> Going back and listening to it now, after listening to Power Slave, after listening to Peace of Mind and all that, all in the same kind of rotation this one just doesn't hold up for me as well anymore as far as the songs just because it reminds me of like an old school maiden song is the clairvoyant
think on here for yeah. me, just because it's long and it doesn't really go anywhere too much, is the title track, Seventh Son of a Seventh Son. Mm. But I mean, Infinite Dreams is pretty cool. I love Can I Play With Madness, Evil, That Men Do, even Moonchild, the opening track. I had a gun with something else for the opening track on this. I, I was just going to say that. I don't think it's a great opener. Only The Good Die Young is kind mm. of okay. The Prophecy is kind of okay. But yeah, after going back and listening to it, I'm going to go with the Clairvoyant as number one. Cool. Um, yeah, I mean, my favorite's easy. It's the Clairvoyant. It's one of my top ten Maiden songs of all time, too. Uh, we do that one as well. Um, yeah, I just have always really loved that song from the first moment I heard it. Um, my least favorite, there, there's a lot of great tracks in this album for sure. My least favorite, I would probably have to say The Prophecy, only because as I'm looking at the song titles, I know this sounds bad, but I can't think how it goes. <laughs> I, can't, can't, I can't hear it in my head. So obviously it's not a lot, not left a great impression on me. Whereas all the other songs, you know, I can, yeah. you know, hum right now and stuff. So, uh, yeah, so I'd probably have to go with that. Although it might end up being one I really like if I heard it, I just can't place it in my, in my mind, but the clairvoyant is definitely my favorite. Cause like I said, that's one of my top maiden songs of all time. But I mean, like when, to me, like I remember, you know, back in the day here in diehard maiden fans, like arguing quite a bit about, Oh man, they sold out with Somewhere in Time and Seventh Son, and it just doesn't sound like the old stuff. And I'm th- and I listen to these, and I'm like, they all sound like Iron Maiden records to me. I don't. Yeah. And honestly, there, if there's one, and this is got another thing, this is gonna piss people off too. I don't need to hear galloping on seventy five percent of the material. That got old after a while for me. I'm just like, I don't need that so much. Right. I, I agree with you. I mean, I I like it to an extent, but yeah, it almost becomes cliche. You know, or, or a parody of itself, you know, you have to do much of it. So, yeah, I, I can hear you on that. You know, funny thing is, like, you know, when I, I, when I got into him on the Killers album, just listen to that album over and over. I was like, oh, man, man, this is great. You know, and then Number of the Beast comes out. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is even better. How do they do it? There's no way they can top this album. And then Peace of Mind comes out. I'm like, wait a minute. They did it again. This is even better. How can they do it? And the Power Slam is like, God, Sky, stop. How do you keep outdoing yourself? I just was like, they just always seem to do better you know, up to a certain mm-hmm. point. And I'm, and I'm not saying, I mean, power slave to me is probably the pinnacle, but I mean, somewhere in time and seven. So those are just freaking amazing albums. I mean, they're solid too. There's no downplaying those by any means, but it was just, to me, Maiden was one of those bands that just kept getting better and better each album. And it's like, Oh my God, how do they keep doing this? You know? Yeah. yeah. I would definitely agree that power slave was the peak. I mean, once, like you said, yeah, so the, each album's a little bit better than one before it. And the first one was epic. So there's nowhere to go but the top, but there's only so high you can get, you know, and then there's bound to be a slip right. somewhere in there. <laughs> and I think that's somewhere in time. I know we're not, we're, this is not 80s Maiden related, but I got to get Chris's opinion. What are your thoughts on the, the more modern material with Kevin Shirley? Are you happy with the production and those, those albums or, or are yeah. you tired of them? Uh, yeah, yeah. Like book of souls, I thought was a bit lackluster, you know, and I was, I think a lot of, because like when it came out, everybody had bought it and was, was raving how good it was on Facebook and all that stuff. And so I had my hopes up like, wow, you know, maybe they're putting out, you know, another power slave or somewhere in time or something like that. And the songs were too long and it was just kind of a little lackluster. I, I think, uh, you know, I like some of the later albums, you know, Brave Movie World and, uh, uh, that's great. Uh, Dance of Death. death. I can't think of the name. Dance Uh, of Death. Yeah, Dance of Death. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. That's a great album too. Um, so there's definitely some, you know, some later stuff that was that was really good for sure. I just, yeah, Book of Souls just didn't wow me, you know. And uh, 
Uh, just for the uh, record, I have totally erased the Blaze Bailey era from Iron Maiden history. That never happened in my book. It never happened. Same here, brother. I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> but definitely one of the biggest head-scratching decisions of any major rock band. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> I was like, you could have picked anybody, and you picked that guy. Okay. Right. Here's something cool, too, yeah. Chris. You were talking about Thin Lizzy influence earlier on the 95 uh, bonus reissue of Seventh Son of a Seventh Son. They they do a cover of Massacre. Yeah, they do Massacre. On there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, Iron Man was always notorious for putting uh, cover songs yeah. on, like, the B-sides or, like, like wow. you know, when I brought on my album collection for that display, I mean, I had I have a lot of the you know, import 12 inches, you know, where, like, it's an album cut on one side and then it's, like, a live cut and, a you know, a cover song on the other and stuff. Like, they did Jethro yeah. Tull's Cross-Eyed Mary. Uh, you know, they've, they've often done cover songs and stuff. So that's always cool. Oh. All the way back to Women in Uniform, which yeah. is a song I love. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Well, I know what I'm going to listen to when we get off here. Uh, that's one of my favorite Lizzie songs. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, it's pretty cool getting back, getting to go through all these albums like this. And like Chris said, you know, it's a cool excuse for us to do that, to force ourselves <laughs> to go back and maybe pull out some albums every once in a while that we haven't maybe listened to in a while. And there was a few of these Maiden albums that I haven't listened to in a minute. And I'm glad this gave me the excuse to go back through and do it. Because it's pretty cool to go from the beginning, entire decade of the 80s, you know, where Maiden was their best, you know, and came out with all their best stuff. Mm -hmm. And to get it all in one sitting like that really kind of shows the, the ebbs and flows of this band. You know, it's they're not like ACDC or something like people always say, you know, ACDC, they all their albums sound exactly the same. Maiden, to a certain extent, also, you know, they never change yeah. so much that you would say, like Chris said, you know, they don't have a music from the elder. You never, there's never yeah. that album yeah. that you go, man, that was the weird one, you know, or that right. one sounded different than all the rest. There's some kind of progression yeah. that goes on here through the changes of this band over time. And like you say, the peak with Power Slave, and then, I mean, you can't get no better. It's humanly impossible. So the chain has got to break somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they've always, you know, stayed, you know, pretty, like I said, pretty true to their sound, but yet each album is still, you know, it's consistent, but slightly different. It's not like you're getting the same exact thing rehashed, you know, over and over, um, you know, but yeah, it's not like you're going scratching, you're going ahead going, what the hell is this? You know, yeah, it's so, a fine line yeah. and they've mastered it. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, Thanks for doing this. And um, sure. if, you're, if you're listening to this on release week and you're anywhere near Nashville, come out to Bowie's this Saturday at uh, July 23rd, 2022, if you're listening to this years later. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, join us for Power Slave and Rock United. And hey, I know the guy that's emceeing this thing. He's on the other end that's of the microphone. That's me. And I know the guy yeah. who's playing in Power Slave. And that's Chris Denae. <laughs> We're going to have an awesome yeah. time Saturday night down at Bowie's right here in Nashville. It's rock and roll, and it's a party, and you can come hang out with Chris and myself, and we're going to be enjoying these amazing bands and having a really good time. It's going to be a rock and roll party. What is it? Is it at rockandpod.com? Is that where they can get the info and the tickets if they're kind of last minute here? I think there's a link there, but the best place, just go on Facebook on the Rock and Pod, the Nashville Rock and Pod Expo page. It's in the it's an event there, and I'll obviously put links in the show notes on all your uh all your podcast players here. And also I'll put links to power slaves, official 
uh, information in case there's any cool. promotions people listening that want to book them in your city. Power Slave, man, you guys don't just play in Nashville. Oh no, we just played. Uh, we just played Winchester, Virginia, and Richmond, Virginia last weekend. We did Chicago and Springfield, Illinois, uh, two weeks before that. So yeah. I saw your thing that you posted about the people that came to the show with the young kids that had such a great time. And it was like their first rock concert ever. That was amazing to read that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I threw so many things out to her from the stage. I threw a bracelet, a button, a guitar pick, you know, she had a little sign up that said my first concert ever. So I want to make sure it was a memorable experience. And, uh, you know, and then that's, that's, yeah, that was totally awesome to, to be part of that and stuff. So. Amazing. Yep. But yeah, Saturday is an early show, so you, yeah, let, let people know what time. Uh, uh, like we we start at like seven thirty. Rock United is on at what six o'clock? Yeah, six o'clock. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah so it's an early show. So yeah. you can come down, meet us there a little before six. We're all going to be hanging out, waiting for the rock and roll to start. With drinks. We'll talk about music, whatever you want. And then at six o'clock, Rock United is going to hit the stage. It's perfect for us old time rock and rollers. You know, we got a lot in Nashville before all the crazies come out. <laughs> Yeah, that's the right. plan. Show starts at six. That's when Rock United's gonna hit the stage. Power Slave hitting it up at seven thirty. I think there might be a band after that even. Did I read that? Yeah, there's a there's a house band there, pretty tied up. Right on. So you then the party continues if you want. Otherwise you can kick it off after uh Power Slave is over. But one way or another, if you're anywhere near Nashville this Saturday night, we're gonna be at Bowie's. Yep. Probably around five, five thirty having a few drinks come hang out with us enjoy some amazing music it's gonna be a good time we hope to see you there should be good all right up the irons and we'll see you next week Horizon Block Party is on it's a free front row ticket to amazing VR experiences all summer long only in Horizon Worlds on MetaQuest 2. Post Malone kicks things off with a special VR performance of 12-karat toothache, followed by more of your favorite music, comedy, and sports. Strap on your MetaQuest 2. Download the free Horizon Worlds app and join the party. Follow us on Instagram at Horizon Worlds to learn more. At The Home Depot, we're dedicated to helping you build the skills that get your home projects done right. That's why we offer free and interactive online DIY workshops. During the live streams, our knowledgeable associates help you tackle your DIY projects no matter your age or skill level. You can learn how to install new single pole switches as well as standard duplex and GFCI outlets. Register for free at homedepot.com workshops. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett.
Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 